0: This week's episode of the News Podcast is brought to us by Giro, makers of the new Imperial Road Shoe. It's wired for speed, and at just 215 grams, the Giro Imperial is lightweight and stiff, but also extremely comfortable because it's made with the new SynchroWire upper construction that's race-ready and luxuriously comfortable right out of the box. Features Jiro's own ultralight monofilament wire mesh upper that fits and feels like second skin thanks to its stitchless, vented, and reinforced structure. Now, the Imperial features dual BOA IP1 buckles, soft lace guys, which allow you to adjust your speed on the fly while eliminating potential hotspots and pressure points. Coupled with a high-modulus Easton EC90 SLX2 carbon fiber plate, you get a comfortable, supportive fit with highly efficient power transfer. Now, the Giro Imperial is already being used at the World Tour level. You may have seen Tebo Pimo. You may have seen Thibaut Pino of Groupama FDJ attacking in the Pyrenees while wearing them. And Tiffany Cromwell of the Canyon SRAM team has been racing on them through much of the season. We'll see her at the Colorado Classic uh, racing in the in Giro Imperials as well. So thanks to Giro for sponsoring this week's episode of the podcast. Head over to Giro.com Imperial for more information on these awesome shoes. This week's episode of the Villainous Podcast also brought to us by Shammy Butter, makers of the new coconut anti-chafe, Developed to meet a demand for organic coconut oil product for athletes, Shamy Butter created its new coconut anti-chafe cream uh, in response to the growing popularity of coconut oil in skin care and beauty products. Coconut oil is naturally an excellent moisturizer. Shea butter, vitamins A and E condition the skin to protect any skin areas that experience friction. Restorative ingredients like aloe vera and tea tree oil contain natural antiseptic properties, to soothe already chafed skin uh this coconut anti-chafe cream is great and it comes to us from a brand that is just tested tried and true in the cycling space that of course is shammy butter so go to shammybutter.com to check out the new coconut anti-chafe thanks to shammy butter for sponsoring this week's episode okay let's get on with the program Welcome back to the Velonews Podcast. Fred Dreyer here, editor in chief of Velonews, coming to you from a very, very sleepy Monday morning uh, here at the Velonews World Headquarters. My sabbatical continues for one final week, and uh, I will be talking to you a week from today, probably catching up with Andrew Hood to preview the Vuelta a España, talk about the upcoming UCI Road World Championships in Yorkshire, whether or not Mr pole is really the odds-on favorite there. And also, we're going to talk about um, Mountain Bike World Championships because we have a pretty awesome Mountain Bike World Championships coming up in Mont-Saint-Anne, Quebec. Kate Courtney of the United States is going to try to defend her win. Uh, there's going to be an e-bike race. And um, I actually have some, some gathered some very interesting information about the e-bike race at Mountain Bike Worlds and why it's not a uh, goofy... Uh, fun event. Well, there's actually some like skill involved in e bike racing. And we're also going to see uh, Christopher Blevins see if he can uh, take gold in the U23 race. Uh, Haley Batten, she's also going to be competing for gold in the uh, U23 race. Anyway, with Mountain Bike Worlds on the brain, um, I have an interview that I'd like to share with you this week with Christopher Blevins, Uh, Christopher Blevins, rising star of U.S. cycling. Some of you may have read Dane Cash's profile that we did on him in the magazine last year, talking about how he is this just multi-talented cyclist, excels at road, excels at mountain biking. He has won the U.S. national title in cross-country racing as a junior, as a U23. Uh, Didn't win it this year. He crashed out. But uh, he's just – he's one of these – I hate to use the term freak, but he's freakishly talented on the bike. And that's not the half of it. Uh, Christopher Blevins is also – he is a scholar. He is a poet. He does hip-hop. And I I sat down with him and we talked about it all. Talked about bike racing, um, his poetry and his hip-hop, his music. He uh, teaches creative writing to – kids at a school in San Luis Obispo where he's going to college. He's just a very impressive uh, individual. And so uh, we're going to listen to my chat with Christopher Blevins. I'll be back a week from today and we'll get you back on the regular schedule of LNU's podcasts. But I think you're going to enjoy this one. I really did. I, I went into it being very impressed by Christopher Blevins and came out of it even more impressed by uh, Christopher Blevins. So Uh, With that preamble aside, let's check in with Christopher Blevins. Welcome back to the Villainy's podcast. Fred Dreyer here. I am really psyched to be sitting across from my next guest. It's Christopher Blevins. Specialized factory racing team, uh, Christopher. If you have read the magazine or read our website, you are familiar with Christopher Blevins, the Renaissance man of American bike racing, mountain biking, road biking, uh, hip hop, uh, <laughs> creative writing. Um, there's what what can't you do, Christopher Blevins? Is there something that comes to the top of your mind? Like what's the thing that you cannot do? Swimming. Swimming. Um,
1: my friends will always yeah be quick to jump on that. So that was always a running joke in high school. I've um, gotten better since I moved to California, but I'm a terrible swimmer. Um, not really safe in the open water. It's like okay. bad, so... <laughs> no triathlons for <laughs> no you. No triathlons for me. No yeah, speedo but, time for I uh, uh, <laughs> Chris. I don't love running either, um, unless it's like for basketball or soccer. Like, I, I loved it then, but yeah, though you won't see me on a tri-bike at all. Uh,
0: well... I think that's a good thing, yeah. <laughs> just between you and me, uh, Chris. We're catching up here. It's uh, the day of USA Nationals. Uh, listeners are probably going to be listening to this a couple weeks later, but I really wanted to catch up with you to talk about um, a couple different things. The first of that is that a year from now, the Tokyo Olympics are mm-hmm. going to be going on. Yep. And mountain biking. This is the this is the Tour de France of mountain biking. It comes around once a year, it's the pinnacle of cross country mountain bike racing. And my question for you is if the next year goes completely according to plan, what does that look like? And are you at Tokyo?
1: Yes, I'm at Tokyo. Um, that's, you know, for sure. Kind of the short term. I mean, it's been a long-term goal, but now it's turning into short term. Um, and if things kind of, you know, stay on track and I can, put together some good results, both in the U S and, um, internationally, then I think I'll be there. Um, it's going to be tricky for us to get two spots for the U S where, um, there's a lot of countries like stepping up, like Czech with, um, Andre sink. He is kind of <laughs> pulling a lot of weight for them. And like, we need to beat Czech in, you know, every race to get those two spots. So it's, it's our chances are dwindling a little bit, but, um, as far as like everything going according to plan, um, I would like to kind of come to a mindset and I think it's something I'm growing into, but come to a mindset where, you know, I put all the pieces together and like, I'm taking pride in the process and I'm happy and like, and really just seeing how far I can go and you know, how beautiful each race can be. Um, I don't know if you know, Ellie, Ellie the, the Nike runner who tried to break sub two. Of course. Uh, I've seen some interviews with him that Haley Baden actually showed me and Mm -hmm. I don't want to get too off track here, but he's like, got this amazing philosophy on like what it means to compete and do endurance sports. We are not off track. by the way. <laughs> we are completely on track. Um, and he's right, you know, on that, like, I want to run a beautiful race. And, um, that's, I think like entirely who he is and what he wants to do. And after you do that, let someone else come up to you and be like, Hey, you won like congrats. Like you're making the Olympics and you're like, okay, great. Like, <laughs> but, uh, so that's kind of how I want to be is, um, Some, an athlete who is, you know, pursuing like, you know, his own passion and like the way he wants to. And then hopefully the Olympics follows that. And I think when you're the best version of yourself, when I'm the best version of myself, it will follow. So.
0: I think the quest for a beautiful race is something that is so completely difficult to do in cross country mountain bike racing, mm-hmm. because there are so many different like things that can go wrong, from you know burping a tire to picking a long ro- the wrong line to any number of factors that can happen. You know, when you look back at some of the races you've done in the last few years, do you have any perfect races or races that came close to being perfect?
1: Yeah, I'd say so. Um, You know, there's that kind of sometimes elusive flow state you try to capture, and Mm -hmm. like I've definitely had that in some races. I think Worlds last year, I was for sure, like, as calm and collected as I've ever been um, at a race that high of level. Um, And I think that really, you know, led me to not have any mistakes. And when Alan rode away from me on the last lap, it was like he was just stronger that day. It wasn't any, you know anything I did wrong, which I was happy to take that away from it. Um, and then there's also beautiful races where like, you don't have to have the perfect legs and everything to go right to have a race you're proud of. And that happens almost more often than not. Um, I've kind of learned that consistency is the hardest thing to find at the world cup level. Like that's why Nino and Nino (laughs) and Kate, honestly, like they're, they're so impressive because they can just kind of put together that race every time. And other athletes may podium and then get 20th. Um, but excuse me, my phone, but when you do have a bad day, um, or one race I think was beautiful, so to speak is, uh, my seventeen, eighteen. when I was 17 junior world champs in Andorra, I broke my chain two pedals in, <laughs> I was five minutes back and then it was pouring and my family was there and I just gave it everything I had. So, you know, that's, that's one of those for sure.
0: Well, I think that's an interesting way to dig into my next line of questioning, which is about consistency versus trying to put it together all on one day. Because uh, a few months ago, USA Cycling released the criteria for choosing the Olympic team, and there was some automatic criteria that weighed very heavily on putting it together for the perfect race. And I believe there's two, maybe there's two races in 2020 and one race world championships for 2019 that will count towards automatic criteria for qualifying. Am I correct on that? There's actually one for each year. So
1: one world for champs year. in Mount St. Anne's that's right. And and world cup opener. And then yeah, world cup opener. Um, I think that criteria is a little more obtainable for attainable for the woman, um, mm-hmm. who are consistently getting those top eight results. For us, for the guys, um, namely like Keegan, Swenson, myself, it's a little harder to get a top eight on one day. And we're not in the top 10 of World Cup overall ranking. I'm not even racing elite this year. So, yeah, that's uh, for sure what they're gearing towards is kind of putting it together on one day. And Nova Meso next year will be really important for that. Um, but chances are we come down to a discretionary Nomination. So,
0: and with that in mind, then are you looking for more of consistent performances week in, week out at World Cups, or are you looking to try and have that absolute perfect race at one of these races in the lead up to the selection?
1: Well, um, both, you know, in some sense, obviously, but also since I'm not competing for the World Cup overall in U23 this year, um, because I've had some bad races, uh, you know, I want to put together a world champion winning ride in Mount St. Anne. so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what my season has shifted towards. And that's what it's also like always been, but, um, that's, that's kind of what we're, my coach and I really gearing up for and, um, put it all in on that day. So, Oh, Mount St. anne That's, That's a yeah. tough course.
0: Mm-hmm. I, you know, 10 years ago when I was mountain bike editor for Velo News, I would go to the Mount St. Anne World Cup year in, year out. And I was always blown away by how unbelievably technical that course was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of times... Fans of World Cup racing say, ah, oh, they're just buffed out and they're just, you know, these like speed races. And then I would go look at that thing and it's rocky and it's Rudy mm-hmm. and uphill
1: and downhill. What have your experiences been like at Mont Saint Anne? So I've actually only raced it once. Um, I was doing, what did I do the first years? Uh, I think Tour Colorado was doing that. Um, and then I did it last year so i was second and that was kind of my biggest breakthrough result on the world cup scene my first podium and i think the course suits me really well not only are the climbs kind of naturally punchy like you've got these single track climbs you gotta sweep around and then punch out of which is definitely in my favor and then it's really technical and natural and um i can kind of use some of the skills i have so i'm looking forward to that one for sure
0: You you mentioned it there that you were racing Tour Colorado the last time it was going on. Um, Christopher, this is the first year in which you have 100% been racing on the mountain bike. Mm -hmm. You aren't racing road uh, this year. How has it been for you just focusing on uh, one discipline? What have been the advantages and have there been any disadvantages?
1: Um, Honestly, much of it is felt the same. Um, I kind of, like when I think back what I was doing a year ago, and thinking how I was maybe going to be on the tour Utah roster like that feels like a world away now (laughs) um but you know there were a lot of points last year especially where I was all in on the mountain bike and kind of like my last road race was tour Colorado and then I still had two months of mountain bike racing so I kind of had that lead into this season of all mountain bikes um I miss you know the kind of the team aspect for sure um with action it's pretty special and then um having a day like where you line up at the start line and you're not nervous at all because you have three hours to let the race unfold and you know you're working with your team so that's kind of a different mentality than like the pounding heartbeat at the world cup start line and everyone's like incredibly tense and then it's just chaos as soon as the gun goes off um so that's different but um it's more time in europe also this year for Mm. sure like last year i was in europe uh for the first world cup round and then uh the second world cup round and then not again until worlds and this year i'll be this will this trip next week will be my fourth time this season so a lot more time in europe which has been good and also i've missed home a little bit but Mm -hmm. um you know there's always ups and downs there
0: You know, you mentioned this before we got started, but, um, you raced with Egan Bernal, uh, Mm -hmm. as a junior and you've been racing, but you've been racing bikes for a really long time between BMX road and mountain. And you've gotten to the point now where guys from your cohort are starting to do things like win the tour de France or win world championships, go out there, race the tour l'avenir, um, what do you, what do you think about that when you see guys from your cohort doing great things in the sport, you see yourself doing great things in the sport? Mm-hmm. Does it give you motivation? Is there any jealousy? Like, what do you, what do you think?
1: I mean, for sure, it's, it's incredible. Like, I'm, I'm just shocked that Ian, you know, did this, this quickly. Um, when he was 18, now I was 17, he came to Benelli Park in the US and raced and then um, we did Pan Ams that year in Columbia together. So um, I got to know him a bit that year and he was incredibly good going uphill. I'm like, not that great technically on the mountain bike. Um, and I always thought like, man, if he changes the road, uh, <laughs> he's going to be good. But I didn't think he'd be this good this fast. Um, it kind of like almost, I don't know how to put this. It almost like dims the allure, the allure of, you know, these like top, kind of celebrities in the sport mm-hmm. because it's like, Oh, it's like, it's Egan and he just won the Tour de France. So it like makes it more kind of relatable. And that's a really cool thing, I think. Um, and seeing like Kate Courtney win the world champs, it's like, they're no longer these kind of like figures that you don't understand or know like they're your friends and <laughs> it's special for that. And it definitely, um, helps me realize that, you know, that can be me on the top step of a world champ podium. So.
0: I think that's important because for the longest time when I covered um, the Americans racing cross country mountain biking and we did have a very robust racing scene in the States, which meant that a lot of the uh, guys and gals could race in the States and make their whole careers out of it and not really have to go to Europe, which was fine. But when they would go to Europe, since there weren't those connections and there wasn't that experience, a lot of times the ch- the difference in the European style of racing, which is just full gas, mm-hmm. punchy climbs, technical courses, not these long grinder climbs like you see in the US a lot of times, uh, there'd be a little bit of a lacking of confidence. And then you start seeing guys like Nino and Florian and some of these really great World Cup racers and they're just the the gap is widening Mm -hmm. And so I look at a guy like you and you've like had this long career in cycling already and you've seen people from your cohort go on to have success and you know what success looks like and I have to assume that maybe you know like contending for a World Cup podium someday doesn't seem like that out of reach Mm -hmm. to you
1: yeah no um, it really doesn't anymore and I think like when you, when it is kind of a pie in the sky, almost like it is incredibly motivating because it's like, oh man, what if I get there one day? And then now it's like, oh, it's, it's, you know, potentially attainable if I do things right. And there's kind of a balance between not like taking that for granted and realizing how hard you have to work to get there and then realizing that you you know have the confidence to do it. So, um, if that makes sense.
0: Uh, Christopher, we've uh, written about you before and about how you are this amazing athlete, but you do have this life away from the bicycle. You um, you write your own poetry, you do hip-hop, produce music videos, you teach creative writing in San Luis Obispo. Um, I'm curious, just from a mental headspace, how do those um, two different lives complement each other? And then where do they, if or do they ever create tension?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, yeah, big question. Um, something I, you know, think about all the time and try to ask myself all the time and like evaluate. Um, I think the biggest thing I'm learning, especially this year is there's a difference between being balanced in your actions, like what you do, like you can do everything and you can, you know, you can go to school, you can bike race, you can have a job. And, um, there's people that do that, that like, I'm just incredible multifaceted people and there's a difference between that and then being really like balanced with your mind state you know and like who you are kind of and i think like that's the difference between like be and do so like if you're just a if you have perspective uh and you have a balanced perspective but you're pouring all your energy into one thing i think that's a more important balance than having kind of this crazy like uh loose strings that you're trying to grab onto (laughs) uh perspective and you're doing a lot So, um, I think I'm trying to, to have, to lean into that, like balanced perspective. And then, you know, now that I'm not, especially right now, you know, I'm not in school, I'm not, uh, racing road. So like, I am kind of just focused on mountain bike racing, but I still want to be balanced and like have interests that are, that are like very different. And I think that keeps me motivated, um, and keeps that perspective. Um, I just wrote a song uh, over the past few months that I spent a lot of time with and like we, yeah, yeah, Many hours in the the studio with my friends and, uh, I'm, I'm playing more piano and guitar. And that was just like, I realized how passionate I am about my music and how I want to pursue it, you know, and I can't pursue it as much as I am my bike racing, but, um, we've got a lot of downtime in hotel rooms, So I bring my little mini guitar and my little mini keyboard (laughs) and I write lyrics. So that like, is super important when you're in Europe and you're alone in a hotel room and you can't think about anything but the race, but you force yourself to kind of tap into that other side of you. Um, and that's what I do a lot. And, and then also like having interests within the cycling world that are beyond me just as a bike racer, you know, like I think I understand what a bike means to a lot of different people. It can be a, you know, a tool to be a professional athlete for me. And then it can also be like, a life-changing, you know, mode of transportation for someone who can't get around otherwise. So I'm trying to, uh, to see the bike world for all of that and not get stuck in like a competitive mindset. So there's a long winded answer, but yeah.
0: No, that's good. (laughs) I mean, with the music and the poetry then, like what does a typical day look like for you? You just said, you know, you're trying to balance some of these things, but like, you know, you have, let's say it's a day where you have a training ride on tap but you also want to get something done on a song or a poem how are you how are you structuring your life in a typical day
1: um well typically i mean on a normal day i don't write lyrics It kind of comes up on its own like organically like if i have a long five-hour endurance ride um where i'm not thinking about intervals or how hard i'm hurting then i'll think of lyrics on the ride a lot um or i'll like play a beat in my headphones and um yeah come up with lines for it Um, when I am like with this song, for instance, in the past couple months when we were working on it, when like we went into the studio, I, uh, (laughs) we, we went in in the morning and like, I completely forgot about my training ride and completely forgot about even like eating lunch that day. And I was just so immersed in it. And I think that was really cool to just like understand that everything else will get done, but like be here now and like focus on the song. So there's moments like that. And then there's moments where they kind of overlap, like training rides where I'm thinking of lyrics. So
0: what are the topics that seem to grab your attention and your passion when you are writing, uh, lyrics and writing poetry? Are there topics that you tend to gravitate toward?
1: Uh, yeah. Um, I think in general, it's kind of trying to capture a sense of like being young and A lot of it's like nostalgic, but also like hopeful for the future, if that makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you're stepping into the world and like becoming yourself and, um, watching friends go to different places. And then you're still like at this crossroads of like your childhood, but also your adulthood. So I think a lot of songs are like that. And then I try to also encompass themes that everyone can relate to. Um, not just 20, you know, something year olds, um, and kind of have more worldly views on, in my songs. So Kind of strike a balance between those.
0: Could you give us a sense with some uh, some bars right now?
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, let me think of something. Uh, so I'll do something from the new song, which is called a "Weathered," which may be out by the time this podcast is out. Yeah. Um. All right. So the second verse starts. It's been snowing as often as we chase a sense of home. As a kid, I used to wonder all the days forever holds. I was wrestling with hope, trying to change the weather. Though I've never dealt with the impermanence that shapes our weathered souls. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it.
0: I think that's an interesting. That's an interesting set of things that grab your attention right now. Um, I, in, in my late thirties, I remember being in my early twenties, like it was just <laughs> yesterday, and. Um, feeling like there were opportunities, but also feeling like, yeah, you're at this sense where you, you very, you totally remember what it was like to still be a kid chasing the weather, mm-hmm. to be a kid mm-hmm. who's trying to sort of make sense of the world. You know, now, how old are you now? 20, T- 21, 21. Yeah. You feel like a person to me anyway, who has a pretty firm grasp on, on your world, mm-hmm. on the world that you are inhabiting, bike racer, person who's doing these things i mean Mm -hmm. do you do you feel that way
1: yeah i uh i think i've always tried to so i think in trying hopefully i've stumbled into that but yeah and
0: and talk to me a bit about you also teach creative writing Mm -hmm. um what type of kid what type of people are you teaching to and what are some of the elements that you try to get across in that
1: yeah so um I volunteer with an organization called Restorative Partners, which works in the detention centers in San Luis Obispo. So I go into the juvenile hall and uh, do creative writing program. Sometimes we do music and the music programs. They're kind of teaching me more how to, you know, play guitar, or learn chords on the piano. But in creative writing, sometimes we'll just get a prompt and free write to it. Sometimes I'll. You know have them write letters to people outside and kind of guide them through that or we'll write raps which is kind of fun so it's more collaborative like i'm not really teaching them anything i'm trying to get on their level these kids are um anywhere from 11 to like 19 and uh honestly like it's been more important for me than i think for them which is like we're so insulated in san luis obispo and i think you know a lot of pockets in my world like you don't realize the struggles other people go through. So that's been really important to get that perspective by going in there and creative writing is the perfect avenue to experience that. So I'm not really teaching. It's more, uh, kind of, we're doing it together and yeah, I do that when I'm in San Luis Obispo. So,
0: I have, you are the first bike racer I have talked to <laughs> who has uh, experiences like that. And, um, I think it's really special, Christopher. I think you are a really special athlete for, uh, American bike fans to follow both on and off the bike. Um, I know I'm always on your Instagram seeing various pictures of you shredding on some trail <laughs> or having a good time. And so, uh, I, I appreciate what you're doing for American cycling right
1: now. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, I want to do more. Like I want to I think I've realized also having a platform as a professional athlete is really important because it's really special. People can listen to you and you can kind of help them be their true selves and grow the sport in the right way. So, um, I've got some ideas, like I'm doing this independent study, uh, that just got approved for one of my sociology classes next fall. And I am basically going to research how the outdoor industry kind of is inaccessible for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and like how we can inspire people who aren't typically associated with outdoors to care more about our climate and then also get outside and ride bikes and, uh, or play basketball or whatever it is. So that's gonna be really fun. And then I'm also doing a project with OutRide, which is the new rebrand of the Specialized Foundation and this nonprofit called Project Bike Love. And I don't know what it'll look like yet, but I'm hopefully gonna set up like an initiative to fundraise money and then maybe through like some skills camps that I'll offer to like, you know, to high school age kids. And then the proceeds will go towards this bike delivery or building a pump track in like the Navajo reservation. I think we're thinking. So, um, that's what I was talking about earlier with kind of combining the competitive side of racing and the other side of bikes. And that's something I really want to do and has helped me kind of realize that It's helped me through like that last interval on the hard training ride, for instance, like if that makes sense.
0: What are the roots of your, um, your affinity for charity and giving back? Where do those come from?
1: Um, well, for sure, my upbringing in Durango and with Devo, um, that's kind of the perspective on the bike side. And then my mom is the most generous person I know. My sister is an absolute rock star who is, um, she works at the Specialized Foundation right now. Eventually she'll go to med school. She graduated from Stanford and she can change the world, no doubt. So (laughs) um, really just following in her footsteps. And I think a lot of people try to, you know, do good things and because they kind of, you know, want to have the image or satisfy themselves with it, you know, and I think for me, it's really like, I ask myself that, like, am I doing this because like I want people to see me as a good person or do I really just want to like give back? And I think that's what it is, is I'm, I'm really just trying to, like see corners of the world that I don't experience. And that's like through these experiences of giving back. So last question for you,
0: Christopher, it's another bike racing question. That's uh, the big question. Let's, you know, look at your career, the, the the bike racing career of Christopher Blevins in total. What do you want it to look like? What are some elements that you want to have as part of your career?
1: Um. Well, I want to, I think right now I'm focused on the mountain bike. So I want to be a Olympic gold medalist on the mountain bike. That's the big goal. <laughs> so we'll try that in Paris and we'll try that in uh, uh, LA in 2028. And then I want to be someone who, you know, uses this little cycling world that I have to like, to, to create change and like help people get outside and ride their bikes and um, have fun and like shred and do wheelies and you know, all that stuff too. Um, And then this is kind of funny, but (laughs) I've thought like, man, you know, if I uh, get a lot of followers through cycling, then I'll have more opportunities for people to listen to my music. That's true. (laughs) We'll get there one day.
0: Well, Christopher, I really appreciate you making time for us today. We are going to continue to follow your push towards the Tokyo Olympics and just following your career on and off the bike.
1: Thank you, Fred. Yeah, appreciate it as always. Thanks.